0: Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. He's a student of the international political landscape and as Russia invades Ukraine, Dr. Glenn Doerr has a real life learning opportunity for his international studies students. He shares reasons for why the war in Ukraine is taking place on this week's Cedarville Stories podcast with your host, Mark Weinstein.
1: Thank you, Sarah, and, and hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I am Mark Weinstein and today, is the final podcast in our mini-series connected to individuals tied with the war in Ukraine. I trust you've enjoyed the programs with Leah Harper, the Cedarville missionary in Romania, and Abigail Rist, a junior at Cedarville, who is from Ukraine. And let me encourage you to continue to pray for the situation in Ukraine. My guest today is Dr. Glenn Dewar, Associate Professor of International Studies at Cedarville University. Dr. Dewar is a leading expert on international relations and has been on the faculty for the past nine years. And he is a former semi-pro soccer player. And that will play into our conversation uh, later in the program. Dr. Dewar is a citizen of three countries being born in the the United Kingdom and moving to Canada and the United States to pursue his academic degrees. And in, in addition to teaching at Cedarville, he is a member of the Beaver Creek City Council. He and his wife, Rebecca, have three young children. Dr. Glenn Dewar, welcome to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. It's always great to be with you.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yes, we're doing this uh, uh, during spring break, uh, March 11th uh, via Zoom. So uh, this is fun to see uh, Dr. Dewar in his, uh, in his quarters. And, uh, but there's a lot of ground I want to uh, get to, uh, Dr. Dewar, and probably time is going to hinder us to do that. But I want to begin with your upbringing in the United Kingdom and how soccer played a role in you coming to Christ. Uh, to help those who have never been to the UK, how would you compare your growing up years to the experiences of your three young children? Yeah,
0: it's, it's a great question because I, I grew up, I was born in 1980, and uh, so it was a, a time uh, when Margaret Thatcher was brand new in office, and uh, but significant challenges. Uh, it was a large-scale recession that that went through the UK in the 1970s and then peaked again in the 80s. Uh, And there's been a lot of discussion about inflation rates being at their 40-year high, while the the previous high point was when I was growing up. And so uh, there there were challenges there. I like to describe England in two ways, because in the United States, there's kind of a view of Downton Abbey and cucumber sandwiches and the Queen and things like that. But there's also this very ruffian side, uh, the the football hooligan part, um, real uh, challenges and brawls in pubs and things of that nature. and so that it's a, it's a bit of both in the country uh, and it's worth worth noting that uh, sometimes Americans see one side or the other and it and it's both and that's worth noting as well. but i I come from, a line of people that that fought in World War II that um, see that conflict uh, very clear-eyed and have have long taught me lessons. Uh, I also grew up looking at things like uh, Rochester Castle that's been around for over a thousand years, or overlooking the River Medway, which is where the Romans invaded Britannia uh, about 10 years after the uh, crucifixion of Christ. And so Uh, history was a big part of it as well. But my parents were ostensibly American. And so I I grew up with, uh, in a sense, a a foot in the UK and in Europe and a foot in the United States and North America. And so uh, that that really kind of shaped my upbringing. And I loved sports. Uh, I mean, any sport, uh, soccer or football is kind of my big one, but I played rugby for a long time and cricket and was a runner and Uh, Almost anything that was competitive, I enjoyed playing. And and because my dad was from the States, I always liked baseball and ice hockey and uh, the NFL. So uh, basketball, always loved those as well.
1: So uh, you you mentioned sports and uh, actually before I get to the the area about sports, I'd have to believe um, your upbringing of being in the UK and in North America really has led to your interest in international studies. But let me now pivot to, to you mentioned sports. Um, you were a very good soccer player growing up. And uh, soccer plays a really key role in your 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 story. I, I don't know exactly the, the, the fact here. You either playing on a college team or a national team when you became really frustrated because you weren't playing to the level and to the, the amount of time that you thought you should be. Can you share that story with us? Because I believe it has eternal implications.
0: Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. Um, yeah. In many ways, growing up, I had sport, especially soccer, as, as a big part of my identity and really wanted to play professionally from a very, very early age. I was captivated uh, by the World Cup and by the sport uh, and kind of continued along that path for a long time. Uh, scouts come in England to look at players very early, 10, 11, 12, and I was pretty small for my age, and so it was, was passed over. But when I came to uh, Canada and then to the United States, I uh, just had different opportunities. I, I kind of grew into my body uh, eventually and uh, played collegiately in Canada. And, and my team won the national championship my freshman year. Uh, but I was very frustrated because I had very minimal playing time and, and really considered giving up the game. Uh, I, I was pretty close to dropping out of university as well, which is a lesson for my students because, you know, now I get to teach the classes. Right. Uh, and so, you know, just it's amazing what God can do in in, in any individual. But uh, after that season, uh, I was meeting with a representative from Athletes in Action who shared his testimony with me. And for whatever reason, we continued to meet because I wasn't living a life uh, that was connected there. And I wasn't particularly interested in church or Jesus or anything of that nature, but he invited me on a trip to Southeast Asia with Athletes in Action featuring Canadian, American, and British soccer players, Northern Irish. And uh, we, we traveled around. We, we played against national teams and uh, had the, the members of my team share the gospel with, with various other uh, opponents and in different settings. And it made a big uh, impression upon me. I, I didn't come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior immediately. But uh, about a month after I uh, gave my life to Christ on, the, on the, the early morning hours of July the 2nd the, in the year 2000, uh, and it was uh, life-changing. Uh, I then uh, went back to the same college and then started the next three years, was the leading goal scorer for those three years, and then bounced around single A and double A. Uh, the Lord gave me a passion for uh, education and for teaching and then eventually Christian education. Uh, but he uh, gave me many kind of opportunities along the way to play soccer as well. Uh, and I'm very thankful for that. That's a fabulous story. And I'm I'm talking
1: with Dr. Glenn Dewar, Associate Professor of International Studies, today on the program. And Glenn, I want to pivot ever so slightly to your professional focus of helping young college students prepare for their life calling. Has teaching at the college level always been a career focus for you?
0: No, no. Uh- as I mentioned, I, I really wanted to to go into you know be either James Bond or a soccer player uh, for the for the longest time and and dabbled in both worlds actually. Uh, I tried pr- a private investigation and, and didn't like it, but um, it was a uh, kind of a, a a job for a time, and then I pursued soccer for a long period. Um, but it was it was in the midst of bouncing around on kind of the equivalent of single A teams where I thought. I'm really interested in my studies. Something's provoked my interest. It was soon after 9/11, and uh, to to think about how to um, conceptualize these things. And so I uh, got a master's degree and then a, a PhD, and um, you know, education became kind of the leading passion. But then, uh, in particular, when the when the opportunity opened for Christian education. Uh, you know, this is my 10th year at Cedarville now and yep. uh, maintain a, that this is where God has me. Uh, because time
1: is really um, short for this podcast, I, I want to move quickly into a topic that you're well aware of. That's the conflict in Ukraine. As a leading international relations expert in Ohio, when did you first begin to worry that Russia may invade Ukraine? Because I know the tension between Russia and Ukraine has been building for several years.
0: Yeah, I think as you recall, uh, especially around Thanksgiving, there was a massive buildup of troops, and a lot of people were kind of, uh, we think Putin's bluffing. And for a long time, I maintained, I don't know that he's bluffing. There's something different here. I was still very much 50 50, as you recall. Right. right. But but I was tilting towards this, this is just different. And so Russia conducts annual exercises that are major scale military preparation. And and it's on a quadrennial rotation around the country. And so they do regular massive military exercises in the West, but those were completed in 2021. And so why is Putin sending all of these troops to the Ukrainian border? Uh, And then they effectively were sitting in trenches from Thanksgiving onwards. Uh, Another one of my uh, privileges as a professor is I, Uh, A number of my former students are in intelligence. And when I was in Washington, D.C., to end the uh, Washington, D.C. semester that the History and Government Department runs every uh, year, I met with some of those members who kind of hinted at some things that were very unique in terms of Russia's buildup. And that had me very worried in terms of not only the size of the buildup, but what the Russians were doing in particular. And then both British and American intelligence started uh, declassifying some materials that were also worrying, and so uh, unfortunately uh, we had a long, long buildup, you know, four or five months of, of knowing yeah. uh, that something's possible—and then and then the uh, outbreak of war, the illegal uh, invasion started by by Russia.
1: Yeah, you mentioned it—that uh, some people thought uh, Putin was bluffing. I, I was probably one of those because. You know, I'm a novice uh, international relations expert, but um, it just seemed like if you're going to if you're going to invade, you're going to do it uh, quickly. You're not going to do it over a course of months. And uh, I was wrong, um, but historically, Glenn, uh, you've talked about President Putin's obsession with gaining power and returning the current current Russia back to the former Soviet Union. Can you outline, in any way, wh- what you believe are the reasons why Putin invaded? In attack Ukraine yes it
0: goes back uh, 1150 or so years and even farther back from that if we look at Colossians 311 there's a word Scythian in there that references people written by the Apostle Paul um, that live lived above the Black Sea yeah uh, and so there's a long history but if we start with Kievan Rus the cradle of the civilization of Russia and Ukraine uh, it started in the ninth century continued, expanded until they were invaded by the Mongols in 1233. The same Mongols then stayed for almost 250 years. And then we have a refurnished Grand Duchy of Moscovy or of Moscow uh, that, that started really in earnest around 1533. So the point I'm making here is that there have been significant expansions and contractions of the Russian Empire. Ukraine has at times been in that but has also been outside of it, hence a separate Ukrainian uh, language, history, and culture. And so with the uh, Grand Duchy of Moscow, it continued to expand. It grew into parts of what are today Ukraine. Uh, and so there are uh, significant bifurcations in in Ukraine that the East and the South is heavily ethnically and linguistically Russian. The rest of the country is Ukrainian, or was part of a previous empire. But there's there's a long history of Russia being invaded from the West in 1610 by Poland-Lithuania, wherein they actually conquered Moscow for around three years. The Swedish Empire in 1709 got to the gates of Moscow in the um, Great Northern War. Napoleon invaded um, in 1812 as part of the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, There was a civil war in Russia at the end of World War I, uh, where the U.S. had some 13,000 troops, and we had some around 600 of our soldiers die uh, there. And then we think of Hitler in 1941. And so for Putin, protecting his eastern or his western flank from an invasion from Europe is key in his mindset He also doesn't like um, massive changes like the downfall of the Soviet Union in 1991. Uh, And I've argued that he's tried to put pieces of that together. Maybe not the exact Soviet Union. Maybe it's better to think of it as a greater Russia or with uh, ethnic Russians within a territory. But that's where Ukraine comes into it, because he's argued that they're indelibly linked. He wrote a 5,000-word essay last summer. But my argument to that is, well, why is there a separate Ukrainian language and history and heritage and culture? Why has so much of Ukraine been outside of Russia for massive parts of its history? Uh, And so therein lies a bit of the Gordian knot of uh, Ukraine wanting to join NATO and to connect with the West. But Russia seeing it as a red line, uh, you know, we don't want to be invaded again. Uh, from the West, even though no country in Eastern Europe would ever dare think about taking on Russia. Russia has still been under Putin very aggressive and illegally so, uh, and committing just massive scale human rights abuses that we're seeing on our screens.
1: To Glenn, uh, I'll move into a delicate area. I don't want to get into a political discussion, but I know Republicans and Democrats are both saying the United States should get more involved in the conflict, even if it es- escalates the war and leads to what we would call World War Three. My question to you is, with all the countries currently against Russia and the attacks against Ukraine that they're doing, including the United States and our sanctions, aren't we already in
0: World War Three? No, not in terms of a of a hot World War Three. Some have argued that we're in the beginning stages and that certainly sanctions would be a, a part of it. Right now, it is a localized conflict between uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, have outlined that it's it's clearly illegal, it abrogates international law, it even abrogates what Russia itself has signed uh, with Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine used to possess the third largest number of nuclear weapons in the world after the downfall of the Soviet Union, and they signed a memorandum, including Russia's signature, to give up those nuclear weapons in exchange for promises of territorial sovereignty. Russia has violated that But, um, you know, there there are different ways this could escalate. It could uh, bring in the countries of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization countries, 30 member states that have promised to defend themselves and led by the United States. That would be a major escalation. And then the danger, too, is bringing China into uh, all of that. That truly would be a a World War Three. Right now, it is a major great power war involving Russia fighting against a smaller country, Ukraine. With heavy economic sanctions and some lethal aid given by the NATO countries, but it is still in a in a box, so to speak, despite the brutality uh, that's taking place. And 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 it's raised the question in many democratic countries as well: you know, What do we stand for if? Good point. Uh, maternity wards are being bombed, and women and children are fleeing. And two and a half million refugees, and counting. Uh, it's probably going to be higher by the time the the listeners hear this. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we, we don't want a World War Three if we can avoid it. And so there's there's a real inflection point right now. How do we move forward? Yeah. How do we protect free peoples? Uh, because a lot of people have said, well, block Ukraine from joining NATO. But that just takes away the agency and the decision making power of small countries and just saying, well, you don't matter, uh, you know, One of the reasons why NATO expanded so much, uh, even though Putin disliked it, was, well, they wanted to do it. They wanted to uh, secure themselves and they wanted the uh, opportunities of the market in the European Union. And so uh, as long as free countries get to make free decisions, uh, Ukraine will be part of that discussion. And so there's there's just so much here uh, that could escalate uh, and quickly, and that's the danger.
1: It really is. And I, I know, you know, I follow the news every day. It's really hard to watch what's going on uh, in real time over in Ukraine. But we've, we've also heard in our country the last several years about a, a phrase called fake news. So, Glenn, how do we know we're getting the truth of what's taking place in Ukraine? And how do you discern fact from fiction
0: with world events? It's a very important question, and I should start by saying there's there's no unbiased news source. Correct. Uh, it's just it's not out there, and so it's important to read widely. Uh, I tend to go to Reuters and the Associated Press first. The reason being is that those are the news services that everyone else uses when they just need to fill pages or to, uh, to say, hey, this is what's happening on the ground. Neither of those sources are bias-free. But if I start there and then watch and read heavily, uh, it's useful. Uh, The great challenge of our era, especially in a social media era, is we can can gain information immediately uh, to our phones, to our smart devices. And that can be really useful uh, in ways that the previous generations just never enjoyed. The challenge is that there are so many hoax accounts out there that, um, you know, show clips from eight years ago and tried to pass it off as if it's happening now. And so it's trying to uh, ascertain markers uh, on the ground that suggest this is in 2022 from reliable sources. Uh, And to uh, the beauty of social media is then people can then kind of fact check it and it quickly comes to light if it's not indeed uh, if, if it is indeed false, the, the problem then, though, is that maybe that information or that video has gone viral already, and it's not actually true. But I think just reading very widely, uh, reading critically and analytically are very key factors. Uh, but then also, uh, as Christians, the Word of God, uh, that, that gives us our uh, alignment in terms of what we can see, and, and we should seek fast and hard after the, the truth.
1: I think your point of of knowing and reading scripture is paramount to following this or any crisis, but also um, it's important to uh, take your news from multiple sources, even opposing sources, because somewhere in the middle there is likely the truth, not just what is being reported uh, broadly. Glenn, so from your perspective, how does this end? And then how do you see this conflict fitting in biblical prophecy?
0: There are several ways that it can end. Uh, some of them are just really bad scenarios where Ukraine is annexed into Russia or that there's a puppet government that's put in place. I've heard of several names of former uh, Ukrainian pro-Russian leaders that may be installed uh, as a as a puppet government. The danger with that is Russia will then grow by 40 or so million Ukrainians, uh, and you add to that the energy sector and, 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 a, and a stronger economy in 5, 10 years when the sanctions have been lifted, uh, and you know, Russia's just going to be a more powerful player. So there, there are real detrimental impacts there. Another outcome is that it just, it's stymied that Ukrainians managed to win and keep portions of their territory. They will probably lose bigger chunks of Ukraine, unfortunately. But uh, the the Russian military uh, has a history of um, not doing well in terms of offensive capabilities, of losing morale. And so uh, if the Ukrainians keep fighting, they can keep a piece of it. Another distasteful way of it ending is um, that Zelensky and Putin make an agreement and there's an off-ramp that's given, and and maybe that's going to be required. Uh, It's not really palatable to me, but at the same time, that's up for the Ukrainians to decide, and and that's maybe where they will opt to go. Uh, But it could, as I mentioned in an earlier question, escalate into something larger, where it's NATO against Russia, and we're effectively in a World War III. That's hard to know. In terms of biblical prophecy, it's important to read uh, different areas of, of Daniel, uh, of Joel, uh, but also the book of Revelation, to think about what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Uh, there, there's parts of me that think that uh, the fulfillment of biblical prophecy and the return of Christ in First Thessalonians 4, some kind of rapture maybe scenario that precedes that, um, I think we're still a ways from that because there are things like, well, the whole world needs to hear the gospel uh, before the end. But Jesus himself talked about wars and rumors of wars. And, and in a way we've lived through the last you know, uh, 80 years almost since the end of World War II uh, with, with less conflict, believe it or not, than at previous points in history. And so if this is ramping up, and and for Jesus's words to be fulfilled, we probably will need to see uh, a number of conflicts like this elsewhere in the world uh, and getting noticeably worse. We, we can think it's bad now, but we still live at a time where there's a massive amount of wealth, uh, the significant freedom for Christians in different parts of the world, right. uh, massive persecution in some parts, too but there's a lot of democratic rights and rule and constitutional privileges that we have. And so we can look at things and think, well, inflation's bad and gas prices are bad, but uh, compare that to say what people were experiencing in the UK during World War II. Uh, Life is still pretty good in a number of ways. And so my estimation is that uh, these grander wars will increase, that life will become much, much more challenging Those are the signs uh, of biblical prophecy being fulfilled for me. That's
1: that's great wisdom and insight. Uh, Glenn, as we move toward wrapping up the program, I want to briefly touch on the fact that uh, you teach a lot of students. And one student in particular, and she was my guest last week on the podcast, Abigail Riss, is from Ukraine. Um, As a brother in Christ, as a professor of hers, how are you able to teach her and others, but yeah, I'll also come alongside and encourage Abigail as she is facing great pain as she sees her friends uh, either leaving Ukraine or being impacted in a negative way.
0: In in some ways, there there are no words that can comfort uh, someone that's experiencing uh, friends and family members that are are being bombed and uh, are in the middle of. A brutal and aggressive and illegal war, um, provoked by, um, in many ways, uh, maybe one of the worst of the worst, as we'll remember Vladimir Putin. And so, uh, you know, words alone uh, cannot cannot provide comfort. It is important, though, in the classroom to frame things in a biblical worldview. To know that in a Genesis three world. Uh, these things will continue because there are many scholars out there prior to this war who were writing that you know, we're, in, we're in a higher plane, that human beings aren't going to go to war, that nationalism is over. And uh, just to, to tell the truth about political violence in Genesis 3 uh, as a backdrop, and then, as I mentioned, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Jesus himself promised us these things would happen in a sinful and broken and fallen world. And so to explain that, to show how it's happening in a lot of different places, and then coming alongside and praying and figuring out ways to link with ministries that are the hands and feet of Jesus, those things help. But it is a brutal thing to process, especially uh, in one's early 20s, this kind of bloodshed and brutality and to think about, well, okay, you know, this was the playground that I right. enjoyed when I was a kid. And here's the slide I went down. And now here's a picture of it bombed and destroyed by the, the Russian military. Uh, there's, those things are, are tough to, to provide comfort uh, under because it's just uh, no words can do it. Uh, but prayer, a biblical worldview, gives us a way to, to frame it, to think through it. Uh, and then it also hastens us to, to share the gospel, to, yeah. uh, to be the hands and feet of Christ where we can. Because each of us is designed differently. Each of us have different skill sets. Uh, and to utilize what God has given us to the best of our abilities, that, that is a, a key factor here. Uh, and then to speak truth, to, to speak boldly uh, about uh, what Vladimir Putin is doing and how it's, it's illegal and it violates uh, international law, but most importantly, it violates the 10 commandments and God's Correct. Uh, provisions and how we should live. Yeah. Uh, and know that he is the ultimate judge that, that one day there will be a judgment for all. Yep. Vengeance is mine says the Lord. Absolutely. And so,
1: Hey, Glenn, um, we are out of time. So I need to leave the conversation right there. There were more questions that I had for you, but, uh, maybe for another podcast down the road. But uh, I want to encourage our listeners to continue to pray for Ukraine. Uh, pray for Abigail Riss, who is the junior from Ukraine, who is uh, studying under Dr. Dur. Uh Leah Harper is uh, a missionary in Romania serving the Ukrainian refugees. And then anyone else you know, uh, pray for the people of Ukraine, pray for the people of Russia. This is a very difficult situation. But bottom line is we know that uh, God is in control. We can trust Him, and uh, even though we don't understand, so uh, please be diligent in praying. And Glenn, uh, thank you for um, your great insight, uh, your friendship, and most of all, for today for joining me today on the Cedarville Stories podcast. It was great to be with you.
0: Thank you. Appreciate your friendship, and and thanks for the invitation. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast, brought to you by Cedarville University. If you are encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.